Welcome to episode 75 of the NBA Does and Does NBA podcast, and uh, I'm joined once again on a Friday night by Darren Hill and Daz. We're about to come into the playoff time. Uh, we're going to cover off a little bit of news first, but how are you feeling excited for the players to finally begin? Because it was a it was a tough last month for basketball to try and uh, try and slog our way through, wasn't it? Yeah, and we um, I just I'm just so glad that the you know the blind three legged kitten wrestling match between Charlotte, Orlando, and Detroit is over, <laughs> Daz, at, at time, time for the real basketball. Let's be uh, honest. That's when you forgot real, Miami. The Eastern Conference. Way, yeah, exactly. Uh, if I forgot before. Miami, that's exactly what I did, Daz. That's exactly what the whole league did, Daz, for, <laughs> since about December. So the East hasn't been interesting since, you know, uh, Gordon's, Gordon's ankle went straight. And um, anyway, ready, absolutely ready for a tournament style, buddy. Yeah, I mean, look, it was interesting in the West because there were so many different movements, particularly on that last day. I think with two minutes to go, Houston were the two seed, uh, Portland were the three seed, and Denver were the four seed. Uh, and then within two minutes, it became Denver the two, Portland the three, and Houston the four. Um, Brutal. And it was just, and, and, and different stages, Portland were the four, and Houston were the two. It was just a crazy last last uh, day of action. But we had our playoff matchups set, Daz, but I want to go across a little bit of news first. Um, the big news that broke, of course, is uh, one of our train rep franchises uh, was in the news again, the Los Angeles Lakers. We, we hardly ever hear any news coming out of the Lakers, Daz. It's a strange sort of thing um, to have them in the news when they're not in the playoffs, isn't it? But uh, they, uh, they made the news because Magic Johnson decided to hold an impromptu press conference uh, about an hour before his last game, and I, and I think about sort of three or four hours before he was going to fire Luke Walton, and basically fired himself and said, uh, I'd prefer to be Magic Johnson than uh, be the president of basketball operations at the Lakers, and I want to tweet about Russell Westbrook. So I'm out of here, and uh, I'll leave everyone else to clean up the mess behind me. Uh, although he does assure us that they're in a good spot. So what did you make of this? I mean, what, what's your sort of hot take? We don't want to get too far into it because I think there's obviously a lot of things that we'll cover up in our off-season talk about the Lakers, but um, what was your sort of reaction to it? Uh, it was um, basically like Geronimo, you know, just pulling the ripcord, getting the parachute, and jump out of the uh, jump out of the, um, out of the wreckage. It's, it's really the only way to view it. Um, my real, there's no hot take here, right? What we've talked about all season, I've mentioned it multiple times, which is we tried to put the puzzle pieces together. You try to draw the strings of logic between what LeBron did in the offseason, the players they retained, the players they let go, um, and then sort of having the, the three camps, as we keep talking about, right? The clutch camp, the genie bus Walt, um, oh, Walton camp, and then the Palinka magic camp. And we just, as you watch the season unfold, you watch the 80 stuff unfold, you watch the various moves at the trade deadline, and it's like we all sort of kept waiting for the grand reveal, right? Like, what was the, like there, what's the mystery? What's the secret sauce behind this? Is it Magic and LeBron pulling the strings? This is all clutch sports. Is this all just a bit of leisure domain, you know, sleight of hand and kind of just distract us until the summer of 2020? And we realized it was none of those things. Looking in the crystal ball, looking in the snow globe, there was no, there was no gazing to mysticism and some serene, um, hidden logic behind what's happening with the Lakers. They're actually just a train wreck. Total, absolute, top to bottom, misaligned train wreck with no, right, we've talked about it many, many times, ownership, front office, 
coaching, coaching philosophy, rosters construction, team style, leadership, right, superstar play, like alignment around all six levels, and they've got absolutely none of it. So that's really all it is, and Magic got, got out like he does. So it actually isn't really anything more complicated than um, I think all of us, myself included, to an extent, bought, you know, bought the brand. You know, I bought the hype. You know, hey, Blockbuster Video is going to, you know, do their, their – Blockbuster Video is coming back, Daz. You know, they're going <laughs> to hire the new king. They're going to hire someone super. They're going to save They're going to save us all. They're Blockbuster. And, uh, no, they're, uh, they're absolutely a completely bankrupt uh, intellectual franchise. That's – that's really the only way to look at it, and I, well, from my perspective. I think John Voight and Eric Roberts were running the franchise because it was an absolute <laughs> runaway train uh, <laughs> this season. And I, and I think where we were wrong in thinking there was a blinker in Magic Camp. There was no blinker in Magic Camp. There was well, Magic. that's actually a great point. There's four camps, and wasn't there? That's right. Yeah, That's right. So there was Magic off doing his own thing. And uh, I think what happened was I think Magic looked at it and thought, Within about three hours, I'm going to be a bad guy for one of the first times, uh, you know, that I can remember. Um, and this is a guy that I guess, you know, had, is well respected across the league, and is generally generally thought to be sort of a beloved figure of the NBA. And he's about to have to sack his wallet and throw him under the bus for mistakes that he sort of made. Um, as the secret sound goes off for our listeners in the background, um, so. <laughs> Um, so I think he sort of looked at it and thought, you know what, I'm just going to jump off this train before uh, before he hits the station, and um, you know if I can if I can move on uh, without being the bad guy, and I think he sort of dropped through his people or whatever, you know, dropped these sort of things about oh I wasn't working that much anyway, I didn't have much to do with the, with the whole thing, so it was all a little bit suspect to me. Um, and now I'm not sure you know, what they do from here. They haven't fired Luke Walton yet. So given that they haven't fired him yet, I must, you must sort of think he, he's a chance of staying, doesn't I mean, Last question on this before we move on. What, what are the chances? Do you think Luke Walton's there next year, or do you think he's done maybe blinkers that uh, may move on zero, to the whole? Zero, zero percent. Yeah, zero percent. One percent? Okay, one percent. No, look, I think um, as I've got my head around it and listened to and the people in kind of the inside there. Um, it seems like right, Jeannie Buss, well-liked, well-respected. Um, she fell victim to um, the old nepotistic trading on um, your um, your privilege and the brand and, and this bizarro 1980s mentality of, well, we need to um, operate a whole new basketball operation, so what do we do? Hire a couple of ex-Lakers, right? The iconic Laker and the guy who was Kobe's agent, right? So... I think that uh, obviously an abject failure and a rapid failure at that. The good news, right? The, the the silver lining is their cap is really great. They're a really good cap situation, and they're the Lakers, right? They're still LA, a very very coveted market, obviously. So uh, this is a huge huge moment, much in the same way when um, you know my little my little team in Milwaukee um, had their ownership fight around the general manager. And, you know, West Eden's invoking his governorship over that, you know, over a decision to replace what was going to replacing John Hammond with with Justin Zanuck, who got kicked out and little John Horst anointed. And we've seen how that turned out two years later. This is one of those moments, right? The Lakers are either going to make a great choice of basketball operations leaders and 
could pretty quickly, right, get this team into 50 wins. Let's not be uh, – that's, that's the other reality. They're, they got LeBron James and a really healthy cap sheet. A couple of young assets, not nearly what we thought they would be, but it's a huge, huge, huge decision for, for Jeannie. So we'll see if she goes and hires a professional you know, basketball operations person like a David Griffin type and let them run this, or if she goes and does something, you know, if she hires A.C. Green and Kurt Rambis, we'll know that she's actually – um, but perhaps not a very good owner. So time will tell very quickly. I think we'll, we'll know very quickly. Pardon me what, what this is. But well, Luke is gone. always me about it. I don't think Luke should go, though. I mean, so the whole – and this is where people say, and I've sort of been in this camp where it's like LeBron, when he wins, it's all LeBron, and he gets all the credit. And when he loses, it's everyone else's fault. So when they're a four seed, so everyone says, well, and the, the LeBron apologists, if you like, say, well, they were a four seed before LeBron got hurt. And then he come back and they weren't very good. Well, Luke Walton was coach when they were a four seed. And then LeBron torpedoed the whole team and the whole season with all the shenanigans with Andrew Davis. So how was that Luke Walton's fault? You know, and then I, I just don't. And then, you know, you've got the stories about, oh, LeBron wants this coaching or that coaching. They're true, that is, and how much of that. Is on LeBron, I'm not sure. But there's, there's no doubt he hasn't been a great influence around that team this year. That's, um, a, mild, that's a mild understatement, Daz. Yeah, look, I, I think that common sense and, and level heads all understand, and I think Luke Walton will have no problem right, finding another job. I just think it's collateral damage. I think it just needs to get a reset button. And it's clear, though, there's something there. It's clear that the, the LeBron-Luke relationship isn't like the LeBron-Tyloo relationship. It's just not... So, um, well, LeBron don't wants sicker fans around him. That's, that's the reality. And he wants a coach that's a coach in, in that name only, really. He doesn't want a coach that really has too much of a say because it's going to come back well, but to the, the end of the day. That's right. And, I think and he loved either. the fact that everyone said, well, he's coaching the team, not Ty Lue. Because then, see, when, when they made the finals, Black got a lot of credit, and I think rightfully so. When they won the finals, Ty Lue got almost no credit. Yeah, I know. This is the nature. It's nature of the beast with LeBron James, right? So, um, that that's just the nature of it. But um, yeah. Look, I it, it, it's hard though, right? It's hard to parse unless we're unless we're there, unless you're at practice and you're inside the locker room, and it's hard to really understand Luke's influence. And no question, his job description of the thirty NBA coaches. He's right there with Scotty Brooks in oh, terms of he's really, really Well, he's in the twenties then, right? It's not an yeah, easy yeah. job description, right? Let's no. just. To your point, right, which is this, uh, again, it's, he'll k- take a lot of blame and not get much credit, right? It's a very, very tough gig you know, to navigate that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard to know, really. But, um, uh, look, he seems like a, a really good coach. He, he seems like a young guy who's got, you know, a lot of upside and perhaps a long career, but it just might be he needs to do it someplace else. Well, do you think uh, Sacramento could be the place that he does it? Because I'm already hearing rumors of his name popping up uh, for their coaching Interesting because- idea. Because Vlade uh, Divac uh, got the four-year extension and then promptly fired Dave Yeager as pretty much his first act uh, under well, his contract. Uh, so the Kings, they turn a good news story into a sad ending, as only they can. But obviously there was a deep rift there uh, between Vlade yeah. and, and Yeager. Um, it's, a, it's a, still a head-scratcher. I mean, you, you finally get a good season, you finally sort of turn it into the right, the right direction. Well... And then you go and fire your coach. 
I'm going to take glass half full on this, right? I'm going to take glass half full. When we saw the um, the, the fighting, the very visible public fighting and undermining between Jaeger and I forget who were the one of the assistant GMs, Williams, or I forget exactly who it was, right? But there was that there were the verbal spats and the undermining commentary and Jaeger, you know, kicking the guy out of practice, right? You know, you remember all that stuff? That was yeah. you know, I don't know, December time, and. And what was the back practice? And, practice guys don't belong on the practice floor. That's the yeah, but I mean, to be, you know, to be so combative, right, is, is so, that's pretty unusual, right? You know, say that John Horst doesn't come in and talk to Budenholzer about, you know, well, it depends what they're coming in and doing. I mean, are they coming in and running the triangle, or are they coming in and just overseeing some things? Well, uh, fair. I just, I guess, maybe my, what I'm, the point I'm making, right, is that um, that rift was very public, and interestingly, right, no action was taken. Right, Vladi said, "No, we're fine. Nothing to see here." And I, I'm gonna, actually going to give him credit because what he could have done, what old Vladi might have done, is get really pissed off, smoke two packs of cigarettes, right, chug a, a, a liter of vodka, and fire somebody, right? And so he didn't. Right? He, he said, nothing to see here. Whatever they said behind closed doors, the, you know, the, the, the rift didn't bubble into public the last few months of the season. They had a really good season, Daz. So what I, again, I'm going to actually give a little bit of credit to say, let the season play out. He's doing well enough on the court. This team is going in the right direction. But it must have been one of those things that was, was going to be untenable. So I'm going to give a little benefit of the doubt. The season went well. Right? Is Jaeger the, the ideal coach for this team? Is he is he a Budenholzer or a Spolster or a Rick Carlisle? Probably not. So I, I'm actually going to go um, to be determined on this one. So I'm not going to put this in the camp of of Sacramento dumpster fires, actually. So yeah, well, that's this was, I mean, look, and yeah, Luke Walton, yeah. given his style and, and the style he liked to play, uh, and even, even with LeBron yeah. early this year, certainly fits the philosophy of the way they were, yeah. they were playing. Um, early this year, because I heard uh, Tori Bessina's name always gets brought up in these discussions, but he's another coach I think that's going to necessarily fit the style that they were playing last year. I think Walton's a much more seamless um, fit into that. Um, and who knows? I mean, well, Jason Kidd's probably going to be the new LA Lakers coach as well, as so uh, that's something we're forward to um, in LA next year. Well, can you imagine? I mean, um... Jason, I mean, just to, to, I'll entertain that thought as a non-zero chance, right? Um, is the even that's a one five percent probability? Well, it's, 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 it's something, right? There's where there's smoke, there's fire. But imagine that ego with LeBron's ego. There's yes, that is that is oil and oil. Oh, that is, that is just no. What are these? No way. Beautiful. I mean, that's going to end in in absolute carnage. There's just no way. I mean, he couldn't get along with Jabari oh. Parker, for God's sakes, right? The you know, community champion, you know, the guy who just wants to build houses and hug kids and, you know, save orphanages. And, and Jason Kidd had a problem with that guy. So. Do you think Jason Kidd first practice will go in the Lakers and ask everyone who they think the best player in the team <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was just watching the Game of Zones, um, the first episode, right, when the, you know, King James is brought into the city and the you know, they're all sitting around the table having dinner, and and, and Coos goes to Brendan Ingram. You know, they got the they're passing the meal. It's like, no, no, you got to pass to LeBron first, Brandon. Like you can't take any food. So Brandon passes the the plate of food over to LeBron. LeBron's about to serve himself some potatoes or something, and Lance Stevenson comes over and goes, 
don't burn your tongue king you know he blows the you know blows the steam off the potatoes uh, so, so yeah anyway yeah with, uh, it'd be fun it'd be fun to hear them answer that questions but uh yeah look um uh, i'm gonna give um a to be determined on sacramento i'm gonna give them a, bit, a little bit better with the doubt you and i have been raving about just the chemistry right the team's got some chemistry there daz they may not have, you know, 55-win talent yet, but they've got chemistry and they're fun and there's a buzz back, and they deserve credit for that. Harry Giles, Buddy Heald almost becoming an all-star. He'd be an all-star borderline in the East, I think. Yeah. You know, he's right up there with, uh, you know, the, the Kembas and the Chris Middletons, that sort of level of player. And uh, obviously D. Fox, ascendancy, Harry Giles off the scrap heap. Um, you know, a, a solid take in a Harrison Barnes. Uh, a Willie Cauley Stein draft pick that you know looked a bit silly at the time, but he's a, turned out to be a really solid mm-hmm. player. Um, Bogdanovich, like you just look at what they've done. It's it, there's actually a lot of wins there. Well, you just so, mentioned who, two players as well who they picked up on moving back in the draft, and I think this is this is something the NFL have done for years, and I think it's something that the NBA teams are going to do more and more of because the two best moves that they made was to move back. In the draft now, one of them he selected Papa Giannis, who he's had a lot of the year. But with the extra pick he got, he selected Bogdanovich and the Harry Giles pick. Um, I think that came from the uh, the Rookie Cousins trade was one of the picks that came in there. Um, but then they moved back and got a couple of picks. So anyway, but they moved back yeah, a couple of times right. to get yeah. extra first round picks in and then hit on the them. middle of the round and then hit on them. So you know you've got to give them some credit. And I agree with you in that sense. I mean, I think they're the, a, a little bit of benefit of the doubt. Whereas you're right, a year ago we would have just shaken our heads and said, um, "What a what an awful decision." I, I still don't necessarily like it, but we, we're not privy to all the sort of background machinations, etc. Of what true, happened. true. I'm going to give them credit for not, you know, pulling the plug mid-season. That might have disrupted development and team chemistry, right? So I actually give them credit for sticking with it. And I was just quickly looking back at to, um, our our preseason um, predictions there, Daz. I think we both, without hesitation, had Sacramento pegged at 15th in the West. I thought they like could it, be the worst team in the league. I had them at sort of yeah. Phoenix level um, yeah. incompetence. But you couldn't have seen this coming. I mean, they because they played... The slowest pace in the league, shot the least amount of threes and the least amount of shots at the ring last year. And then they turned around this year, they're the fastest team in the league. I don't know where they finished in terms of three-pointers and, and around the ring, but it was certainly having the last. And, it, and it, I know early in the season, they were sort of top five in both of those areas. So it was a complete another turnaround. I don't think anyone could have seen well, that. I mean, stylistically and certainly in terms of results as well. I think the um, the, the smarter the smarter um, uh, pundits would have seen it in so much as, and we're going to probably look for this a couple times next year, is that when your star player is the point guard, right? Rookie point guards almost always struggle, right? They go from the NCAA tournament into the draft, and then their head's spinning in summer league and money and contracts and suddenly practice, and boom, the season's on you. And it just sort of, you're right, this is why they hit the wall oftentimes in February and now what happened was is that D Fox got through season one, get a chance to catch his breath, right? Whole off season with the gang, whole off season in preparation. And that's what you saw. This team was ready to play. When your star is a point guard, this team was much more ready to play in a very distinctive and purposeful style. And so that's what I think you'll even see like the Trey Young led Hawks or a dare I even say on a different level, you know, Colin Sexton type of team. Well, I you think know, the Cavs are take, the best yeah. example of that. I think they could be the team next year we don't see coming. 
and, and take a leap from the, the terrible season they had this year to say, you know, 40 wins or, or thereabouts themselves. That's right, yeah. When your point guards, you're, you've got an off-season to plan and prepare and get your body right and get your head right. So we could have seen that smarter. Uh, if we'd have been smarter, we'd have seen that coming. But cause I think you and I also love the rawness. We, we see, you could see the magic. You could see the, I say, the, the, the magical sort of play. The You could see it, the flashes from D. Fox and the speed and the confidence and the swagger. Like, well, that the other look thing like, was, what yeah. worried me, they sent out their best five. They sent out in summer league the Aaron Fox... Um, uh, uh, Bag- Bagley Marvin Bagley and Harry Giles Frank Mason they had all these players that we thought this is almost their best five you know starting players yeah, come to see right. they got smoked they got killed yeah. they got absolutely killed in summer league and I was just like I'm out on this team like, that's it I can't that's see right. that's a good I forgot about that that's right they got smoked didn't they yeah so, so never, uh, I never overreacted to summer league probably the the lesson there. Last last bit of news, there's Memphis, a uh, bit of change there. Chris Wallace is out. Uh, Bernie, uh, Bernie Bickerstaff is out. Um, I, I don't know why they sort of signed Bickerstaff in the first place, to be honest, with a bit of a strange one, but obviously they saw this as a bit of a transition season. Um, a lot of flux still there in Memphis. Uh, it looks like they may uh, have to give their draft pick to the Celtics in the end, which is what they wanted uh, at the end of the day, so we'll sort of see uh, how that ends up shaping out. But if they don't have a draft pick this year, um, it's probably a good time to sort of ease a, a new GM in and then they own all their draft picks going forward so he can have a good year to, to get acclimatised uh, to what they need to do. But I yeah. to, to put it mildly, they're not the team that's looking to contend anytime soon. Well, it's a shame though, Greg, because this was, the, right, they had such a strong culture there and a really, they've got a really small but really loyal fan base and obviously with Gasol and Conley anchoring what was a it's been a pretty fun franchise to watch then and I just think Wallace is Wallace is a little bit in the Ernie Grunfeld like I think he could have you could have had reason to fire him a couple years ago you know with the with the stupid Parsons deal um I thought he destroyed value not in a you know in a significant way but destroyed value in the Tyreek Evans I think he's completely mishandled and undersold at the wrong times on Gasol and may, may still get some value from Conley's. So I just think he's completely mishandled, you know, their asset base and, and the roster turno- turnover from, you know, from the old Conley-Gasol era to this new version of it. So I think it's about a year too late in my view. So but it's better late than better late than Grunfeld would be the way to, the, probably the new phrase. Well, that's, that's fair enough. And yeah. I mean, he'll, yeah. he'll forever be known for the shame to be as well as the number two pick. Indeed, sure. indeed. I'm sure. So Good riddance. Let's move on to the, the playoffs, though, Dad. So we're going to um, do this where we, we've got this sort of six series that I don't think are as interesting as there's two series that particularly interest me in both conferences. So I'm just going to have a quick question about notice on, on three series in the East, and then we'll, we'll focus in on one series in a bit more detail, and then do the same in the West. So let's let's start in the East. We'll start with the 4-5 matchup. Uh, this is Indiana and Boston. Boston with home court advantage. Question about those, Boston, they miss Marcus Smart out um, with a torn, uh, torn oblique muscle. Uh, he's out for the first two rounds in the playoffs. Is this going to be a blessing in disguise to an extent for the Boston Celtics where they can now get their rotation sorted and they just don't have that one guy too many they're trying to find minutes for? And, and there's, you know, Is there something to be said for knowing now this is our eight guys going in 
and we don't sort of we're not trying to find minutes for a ninth guy and guys aren't playing enough minutes etc to sort of get a flow of the game so I think there is something to be said for that but obviously the the, the downside that is Mark Smart's probably the best defensive player as well and has improved on the offensive end uh, as the season's gone on. You've just answered your question the way I would is that I, I yes I guess in some ways right all all teams endure injuries and if you're going to lose a guy um, in this stage of the year and um, you're a team who's got nine legit players who could be playing 25 minutes a game you just can't get spots for them the way Boston has they go yeah I guess in that way it gives you it, it clarifies some things although obviously the, the risk of course is that one more injury and you're really you're sort of hurting to state the obvious. But you'd want you'd want that to be right if you're looking for an injury. You'd, you'd hope it'd be not your not your sixth best player, like where I think Smart is. You'd, you'd rather it be a Gordon Hayward, who you know, right? Who's still for me is just a net negative on the court, despite all the wishful thinking that everyone's trying to say he's looked better the last month or two. So, yeah, it will help the rotations. Terry Rozier is a bit of kryptonite proved, you know, last year to, to Eric Bledsoe. If those two teams do meet in round two, so that could be. You know, an interesting kind of reprisal of two, you know, mi- minor players in the game of zones. But um, you don't want to lose a player like Marcus Smart in the playoffs, no way. Um, so it kind of helps, but I think it hurts him more than it helps him, right? He's a tough guy. He's 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 improved his shot this year, right? 42, 43% overall and 36% from three, almost league average. So he has improved. Right? He's, he's passable now. So uh, that's a tough blow. Well, I think it's um, but, forced Brad Stevens' hands. I think it's going because I don't. I think what you probably need to do in that position is just go. These are eight guys, and sorry, Gordon Hayward, you're not playing unless there's an injury now. And I don't think he was going to do that. Um, so I think it's sort of forced his hands, and now well, he's going to have to just commit to those eight guys. Uh, and obviously there'll be a ninth or a tenth that's going to be spot minutes here or there, but that, that's going to be the main thing. So I actually think I, it's not going to hurt them greatly in, in the Indiana series, although Smart would have been the primary defender on Bogdanovich, who's been a, a, a nice story there in Indiana. But obviously the second round where it may bite them um, when they need Smart to sort of you know, go against Middleton and uh, you know, try and be a point of attack, defence against Bledsoe, etc., um, when we're assuming they face the Bucks, yeah, uh, in yeah. The second round. So, uh, what what chance do you give Indiana? I mean, they, they didn't finish very well. Um, obviously, if Big Old Depot was healthy, I think they're their favourites. On they'd be warm favourites in my mind um, in this series. But without Big, obviously, they they finished the season with a bit of a whimper. I mean, what what sort of chance do you give? Them? I've got Boston in five here, but do you give Indiana a bit more of a chance than that? I, I think at Boston in six. Yeah, I think maybe Horford sits a game. I think, you know, if, if, if Tatum shots off, you know, one night, if Kyrie gets in early foul trouble, I think you'll see it'll be sort of one of those games where, you know, uh, Cedars at Boston goes up 2-0, Indiana takes one at home, Boston wins game four, maybe Indiana scrapes out and forces to game six, and then Boston runs away. Like, it'll be a, a six-game series that will feel like it was never in doubt. Though that's that's my feeling. I think Boston, yeah. Indiana's got enough strengthen and they got a high enough sort of floor but they've not fared well against Boston this year right they won a one-point game back in November then got um you know got bombed recently here in April so I just again like we were talking about even with Vic where they were lacking firepower so I think this might be one of the hardest series on the eyes as this could be you know some you know this could be some ugly basketball um, probably not for the sense I mean I get the sense with Boston there's a little bit of a LeBron Cavs feel about this time where 
we've looked at them all season and shaken our heads and said, this team's just not going to get it right. And But we know the talent that they've got and we know they've won in big moments before. So do you do you expect they're just going to put it together come playoff time or do you think the problems that they've got within this team are just are too deep-seated um, to turn it around now that lives have started? I'm going to answer it like an analytic, which is they have such a high variance of outcomes, Daz. I can't give you an answer other than I'm quite confident the variance of outcomes are high. If you told me that Boston lost the series in five and we did the anatomy of that train wreck, we would very, very clearly build a, 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 a case to say, well, gosh, for 82 games, this team was a fractured team with chaos, with role uncertainty, with weak coaching, with weak leadership, with various injuries. We, if they lost in five, we would make a very credible case, right? If they sweep Indiana and Kyrie goes crazy and, and Tatum's hitting shop, that also hitting his shots, we would also probably go, you know what, that also makes sense because they're the sleeping giant and the talent base is so so high. Like that's the they're the strangest team, right? That that their variance of outcomes is so vast that I think any end of that spectrum could make a very credible sort of story, right? Whereas you look at other teams, like something is have to go tragically wrong in Philadelphia, Toronto, or Milwaukee for them to lose in five, something tragically wrong, right? But Boston, if they got lost in five, you'd go, oh, God, well, they've been kind of shit all year. And this god-awful Eastern Conference, they won 49 freaking games. Their, their Vegas over-under was 59 and a half, Daz. They've 10 games underperformed. They're over under, and so you sort of go, "Yep." I look at the the crunch time stats, and Kyrie is still an absolute dragon slayer at the end of games. Literally the best stats in the league. Um, I unearthed something. I forget one of the pods. I didn't unearth it, but they, and I'm, I might even butcher it, but I think that what they said was he was in the last two minutes of games this year, Daz. He's 29 for 49 from the field, the highest field goal percentage in the league, and was a plus 48 in 58 minutes, right? They go, Kyrie can win games. That game is within two points and it's a two, in a two minute game. And it, it, it's the Boston Celtics against your team. Like it's hard not to bet on Kyrie's to your very first point, which is a little bit of a, a sleeping giant in them. So that's a cop out answer, but I genuinely believe it. Like I can't predict the future. They could get swept and we go, oh God, they were kind of like the Portland of last year. Of course it was sucked for whole season. And they go, Oh shit! They just wiped the floor with Indiana and and beat the Bucks in six. And you go, well, of course, it's Kyrie Irving. And so that's it. They're just the craziest outcome team. That's yeah. how I view the Celtics. And I think that was the thing about LeBron's teams. I mean, even going back to Miami, they thrived on adversity. Like Miami had all those series in a row where they would be behind in series, and then they'd come back. And and the Cavs were very much the same, although they weren't behind so much in the series, but they played terrible in the regular season. And we're shaking our heads, and then they come out in the playoffs and put it together. I, I question whether some of these other teams, particularly the Eastern Conference, how are they going to go when they get punched in the mouth? And if they come out in the game one and lose by 30, is there going to be some finger pointing going on? Is there going to be, are they going to implode, or are they going to come together and come out even harder? That's going to be the question mark, I think, for all of those top four teams in the Eastern Conference. Um, and, and Boston is no different to that. Indiana can sneak one of those first games uh, in Boston, then we're going to have a really interesting series on our hands. All of a sudden, excuse me, even though, I, to your point, I don't think the basketball is going to be anything fantastic to watch. So I've got Boston in five, you've got Boston in six. Uh, the next series, 
to look at, we'll, we'll go to uh, the Toronto Orlando series. This is, I guess, somewhat interesting. I mean, how much are you buying this Orlando finish of the season? They're one of the, the best teams uh, in the Eastern Conference and indeed in the NBA after the All Star break. Uh, eight and two in the last ten, they roared into the into the plus forty two and forty. So a, a, a winning record in the end. It'll be in the, in the well, they, be terrible Eastern Conference. After, but how much are you buying at this? Well, Des, after the All Star break, they were fifteen and eight, right? Like they've they've been playing good basketball, right? Mm. I just can't I can't believe it. No, I. No, I'm gonna trust. No, I don't believe it. Here's what Toronto I sweep. I Toronto sweep. I don't we, believe it. Well, we said this. No, I don't we believe said, it. And I, if you if you remember, cast your mind back. Um, I actually said I watched them in the in the first couple of games. You liked the it, break, and I said watch Orlando. And this is you why did. I said it. Not because I'm, I'm buying it. I said there's going to be a team that takes advantage of the fact that no one wants to play basketball in March. And it's the dog days of the NBA, and there's all right, these right, right, right. position and tanking for position in the in like you had Western Conference teams deliberately losing games because they were looking ahead in the schedule. You had East, the, almost the entire Eastern Conference couldn't give a rat's ass, bar those sort of three <laughs> teams that were fighting for the eight spot. And even Detroit, I think at times I thought were, were tanking games to try and get to the seventh seed, and of course they end up limping into the eight seed. And Orlando just sort of took advantage of it. I don't think like there was no signature win within that where they where they've beaten a team that really came out and wanted to win. So that's that's what I'd put an asterisk on. And I kind of feel like they've climbed the mountain, and this was their this was their sort of game seven, if you like, to get into the playoffs when they when they beat um, Boston in Boston again again a game where Boston wrestling players they don't really care about that. They've locked up the four seed. So they won a lot of meaningless games in that stretch where you can do that if you really focus on it. And, and to their credit, they did. You know, Terence Ross was hot for certain games of that stretch. Uh, Vucevic has been great all year, uh, to be fair to him. And then their defence has played well. Like Steve Clifford's always been a good defensive coach. But I just think their offence is not going to be good enough. I think Toronto's going to absolutely smother them um, on defence. And uh, I'd be surprised. I, I think Orlando could potentially win a game, but I think it's a four or five game sweep, a, a gentleman's sweep or an out and out sweep, um, to my mind. Having said that, Toronto obviously with a, with a long history of losing game one um, at home goes even when they are when they are um, uh, hosting a series. What, what's your roadmap, though? I mean, do you, is there a roadmap you can even see for Orlando here uh, to win this series? There's just way too much talent on on Toronto. I think what I've been saying about Orlando, I just I just cannot believe a DJ Augustine Evan Fournier team with no shooting and Aaron Gordon and relying on Terrence Ross the way they rely on Terrence Ross. Like and, you know, nice guy, nice stories. You know, kind of the poor man's Lou Williams. You know, in the you know slightly different body. Look, you know, good on them. They've they've launched themselves from complete irrelevance to purgatory. And um, I, I don't know if this is a good, I, honest to God, don't know if this is a good move for them. Given how weak the draft is this year, I think there probably is a very positive step that, you know, the likes of, you know, Gordon, um, Bamba hasn't played a lot. Isaac's played quite a bit, though, and that the team has, you know, gotten this level of success and they've bought into the Clifford system, which is what Clifford does. He changes the style, gets people to believe, and they, he does tend to build a, you know, kind of a, 
a good defensive-based kind of culture. So I think they'll look back on the season as a success. And when they get swept or, you know, lose in five games, there will be no – probably no shame in it. But I, I don't – I just don't see them, you know, a very, very highly motivated Toronto team, right, um, to just make short order, get some rest, rest the – you know, rest Kawhi's quad, um, put uh, Gasol's knees on ice, you know, for a few days. They're going to be very motivated, motivated to make this a, yeah. a short series, Daz. But, uh, yeah, nice story brewing Orlando. I think I'm doing a little bit of what if for them. It's like, gosh, if they just would have had a Wendell Carter instead of taking him over Bamba, um, you kind of go, maybe you're talking a 46-win team, and you're, you're getting my interest in a guy who can defend Mark Gasol, very credible, the, the, the Jeff Weltman, Jeff, uh, John Hammond obsession with length, you know, the Giannis Stan Maker, you know, sort of sensation that they're trying to build in Milwaukee and are doing the same thing down Orlando. So anyway, I, a little bit of digression. I wish they would, this team would get my interest if they had swapped Carter for Bamba, but no, I just, I just the, the talent base is just way too, the talent well, base is not the motivation. Got to, Mark yeah. Apple's coming in next year, so if, if they can turn him around somehow, some way, um, who knows? Uh, I, look, but, I, you know what? I'm still going to believe what I saw in college. You hope the psychology, the rewiring of minds. I had a cousin who had giant, you know, literally had brain surgery for a, a, you know, a benign tumor and had to basically relearn his life and, you know, perfectly functioning human being. So I think, you know, the psychological stuff like what this very, very clearly is, is it, it, there's just, again, talk about variability of outcomes I trust what I saw in college. It was an amazing, amazing athlete off the bounce, a, a playmaker, um, a shot maker, a mid-ranger, an athlete, a finisher, right? So you, you do. You can't forget what you saw on tape with faults, and you just hope, yeah, you hope the, the, the synapses fire in a different way for that kid. But, uh, yeah, I like that trade for them. Well, it's a much like better spot for him, isn't it? Much better spot. Yeah, for safe, quiet. You know, and they have space. You have plenty and plenty of space to, um, you know, to, to have the ball and, and not have to sort of, you know, live up to a, an expectation. But uh, yeah, look, I think if Orlando wins a couple games, if they found a way to take this to six, that would be a massive success, you know, f- for them in this season and a good sort of platform going forward. But um, and this is probably the most we'll talk about the Orlando Magic for the next 24 months. So uh, <laughs> so yeah, good on you. But no, Tor- a Toronto sweep is my prediction in this one. Yeah. Okay, next one. What's your level of concern with uh, the Detroit Pistons and the Milwaukee Bucks, the one v eight matchup? Uh, zero. Yeah, there's zero. I, I mean, it's just, this is a dream matchup for. What Milwaukee. if I told you that Blake Griffin's at hundred percent? Blake's Blake's knees right. He's going to be ready to go hundred percent. Have you seen him defend a little bit? Have you seen him play defense this year? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's um, yeah, he's LeBron-ish. Right, he's uh. Giannis Giannis would just, obviously Drummond is way too slow to defend Giannis and and Blake just doesn't have the, uh, he just doesn't have the strength and he can't can't stay with him and Giannis is eviscerated, uh, both of them. And, um, you know, some of the famous, the the highlight reel dunks that Giannis had this year was on John Luer's face and and, and, bullying, bullying. Well, granted, Giannis bullies everyone in the league at the moment, but, uh, you know, no, this is just – they traded away their best shooter in Reggie Bullock. And, yeah, Wayne Ellington's nice, but, honestly, there's just – that team is a mess. I think That's, we need yeah. Lance to go and research. Yeah, our head research at Lance needs to research the biggest margin of victory in a four-game sweep of all time because this could be it. 
This, I'm yeah, pretty uh, sure it's the Spurs over Memphis a few years ago when Memphis just had everyone injured. And I think Jermichael oh, was their best player. Um, so this this could be worse than that, I think. This is going to be 30 to 40 point blowouts. Every yeah, I, I, that's that's funny you say that way, Go Just the eye of the tiger, you know, Giannis steps on the court in the All-Star game and wants to fucking break your face, <laughs> right? And I go, imagine him now with the demons of Kid and Prunty and just the way he's been, you know, he literally was dunking on the on the fucking breasts of Costa Kufos's mother, you know, <laughs> early in the season. Like, he just he just does not, you know, he will <laughs> spit in the face of Ben Simmons when you try to get in his way. He's just got the get the fuck out of my way. I've got bigger things here than you fucking piss ants. And, and Drummond's gonna... silly enough to say something to him. Good on Drummond's all. Drummond's Drummond's a Georgetown guy. He's a smart. I kind of like Drummond. He's, like a, he's a very he's, he's, he's a heady guy. guy. Yeah, I know. And again, Dwayne Casey is such a character, right? He's just kind of is something something goofy's going to happen, though, right? So I don't <laughs> something something goofy could happen, but yeah, you look at Giannis just absolutely you know, breathing MVP level sort of fire. Um, and oh, by the way, what they did yesterday, only the locals would know this, but the Bucks were playing, um, they had a practice organized and they decided to play wiffle ball. They had a wiffle ball tournament. Daz actually didn't play any basketball yet. You know, the, the baseball, the plastic baseball bats and the plastic balls and had a wiffle ball tournament and then, you know, went and played video games. So they're a little bit loose at the moment, right? So again, I think Bud, again, from that, the Popovich sort of tree, kind of knowing which buttons to push and how hard to push it. And they're they're not really worried about the Detroit Pistons. So this is Bucks and four. Detroit could get one at home, right? If they if the Bucks actually they might rest a Giannis, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be totally surprising in a game three back at the Palace. And you know Blake goes you know 15 for 22 from the field and give Detroit a, a moment in the sun. But I, I think this is a maximum five game series. Yeah. And the only close. thing I'm, I'm truly worried about is the backup center for the Detroit Pistons. And honestly, when he gets on the court, I'd almost just say, Giannis, you're off. I almost <laughs> spat my mosaic IPA out. Oh, I forgot. Of course, everyone's talking about Fawn McCour. <laughs> Their Uncle Fawn. Uncle Fawn's cabin's going to come back. And, oh, he's going to get a Spalding tattooed on his face, isn't he? Poor kid. He's, yeah, so yeah. Well, Fon the other McCurr, guy to worry John about Lure. is the third string center, Zaza Pachulia, who's been named to take oh, out. Oh, ankle breaker. The ankle breaker. And oh, the dear. The ankles, so. Oh, dear God. But beware <clears throat> playoff thumb. That's all I'll say. Beware <clears throat> playoff thumb. We've seen him before. <laughs> playoff thumb was really fun. He fucking locked down Kalari. I'll never forget that. That was one of the. That's one of the greatest series losses I'll ever watch. Is that that 2017 series? But um, no, Daz. We, uh, no, this is not a series. Let's move on. <laughs> the, the, the series I'm most interested in, such that I am interested in any of the recent comments. You buried the lead here, did you? Is uh, the Brooklyn Nets and Philadelphia, and the reason it's a little bit interesting is uh, um, Joel Embiid may miss the first game of this series. We're not sure. He's got a knee injury. Philadelphia not really saying much about how bad it is. I mean, if he misses any time in the series, that's, that's just to put it mildly, that's a problem for Philadelphia. Um, how shocked would you be if I said Brooklyn ended up winning this series? 
I'd be, I would, I, this would be, look, because for Milwaukee or Golden State to lose a first-round series, it probably meant significant injury, right? So put those two teams aside, mm-hmm. right? Your number one seeds, I go, all the teams in the league who cannot lose a first-round series, Philadelphia has the most at stake. I even include Toronto in that, mm-hmm. right? I, I, even, I, I think that would be the single greatest tragedy they have gone They've all in, all in, all in. Like you can't do more all-ins than what Philadelphia has done to, to you know, trade away all their assets, to trade away the entire process for Tobias Harris and Jamie Butler. To, so if they stub their toe early in the playoffs here, that is a gigantic, gigantic step backwards well, here's in, in, the my, problem in my estimation. They, they've come into this playoffs the complete opposite of last year. They came in last year on the back of... I think, what was it, a 17-game win streak? 14 or something. It's huge, yeah. yeah. So this year, they're coming in. Base is a 500 team since the All-Star break. They've just been coasting. They haven't been put, putting in. They, they've played a couple of meaningful games. They beat the, beat the Bucks once, lost to the Bucks. They had a good win over the Celtics. But they've just been coasting. They've been on auto Well, they've, they've been... Um, interesting stat on Philadelphia, right? They're, they're 14 and 10 since the All-Star break. They're the third lowest third lowest in the entire league in three-pointers made per game since the All-Star break, right? And, that, and that's with a guy called J.J. Redick. So that team gets bogged down. Like if they're not running, in, if they're not defending at a high level and running and bouncing their bodies everywhere, that team grinds, right? And we've seen it. You, you've seen it. I've seen it. Ben Simmons is, we've talked about this before. He just hasn't improved. Pick your qualitative or your quantitative metric. He just hasn't improved anything like if his move is you know, what's he do he comes out and sets screens and does occasionally make a terrific you know pass to the corner for a three and there's lots of dribble handoffs and like great you're the number one fucking pick like do something but he doesn't do anything he's like super he's like superman wiggins you're just like could you please do something so like uh, it would shock me because Brooklyn is just Brooklyn, and the talent base is so low, but they're so well coached. But I just, I, I, I even my description of Philadelphia is probably emblematic of that team. It's all over the place. There's a lot of variability of outcomes. Um, when it was working, and you got Jimmy Butler closing games, and Embiid, you know, uh, and Prime Embiid. That's a really, really, really tough duo, right? When when JJ's hitting shots and and Jimmy and Embiid are going, but. I guess my point was they don't make it. They don't have any shooting, and when Simmons is doing Simmons things, and you got Embiid out there chucking eight or ten three pointers a game, which is a dream for their opponents. I go, you've got a problem. So it would it shock me? Of course, it would shock me if they lost to Brooklyn. I'm not nearly as confident as as Bill Simmons is on on Brooklyn. But my question, without notice to you, which would kind of maybe maybe this is what you're hinting at. They played four times this year, right? Brooklyn versus Philadelphia. What do you think was the lowest point total for the winning score? Right, the lowest point total for the winning score oh. in these in the four games. Right, what was the lowest? Oh, it'd be in the one twenties. I'm thinking in the one twenties, exactly, which is fucking bonkers. Right, the lowest, the winning score in their four games is one twenty two, one twenty seven, one twenty seven, and one twenty three in the four games. Right. And they're averaging one ten a game, so that they've all been pretty close. Um, the one one giant blowout, Brooklyn bombed them in November, one twenty two to ninety seven. But then the other three, um, then Philly won by thirteen in March. But 
the two middle games very close, three two point game and a three point well, game. One of them was waiting. The, if you remember when Jimmy Butler hit that ridiculous three uh, right in. Oh, uh, that that would have been that November game. That's right. But um, but the point of that is that that to me that tells me right that I I didn't watch all four of those games, but that tells me they're playing at Brooklyn's pace, which tells you something about Philadelphia, doesn't it? Like they're playing at the, the lowest score was one twenty two. Right, average winning score was 125. That's that's a Brooklyn pace. Yeah. And they go that and that's that, that does not bode well for a, a JJ Redick and a, a Joel Embiid who's again a bit sore, got a bit of pain, got some knee pain going on there. I'm not sure what version of that is, but it's not. He doesn't sound like he's 100%. So, and I saw him right in that Bucks matchup, the last one, which uh, probably the last time I saw him play at just complete. Uh, 100% uh, effort. He was gassed as they had to sit him at this eight minute mark of the fourth quarter, sit him for four minutes and then bring him back in with about four minutes to go. He's, he didn't have the fitness. And so I go, that's the tricky bit for Philadelphia is that if Brooklyn gets a couple games and these six games, for example, mm-hmm. I think it'd be a bit, I, Brooklyn's going to win one or two, won't they? I, I, I think gonna go probably six. Philadelphia in six. I mean, that's my, yeah, official prediction, but but six games at here's the roadmap at the pace. Yeah. Well, here's the roadmap for the Nets winning. They're good enough to take a couple of games, and I want to see this. And as I said earlier, I want to see this Philly team under adversity because I think they're going to fold like a cheap suit. I really do because this is not a team that's ha- they don't handle adversity well in winning close games, um, and I think they they're no. very combustible at the moment. You know, Brett Brown's on the hot seat, and I just think between games, the, the mentality of this team is going to be interesting to see if, if there's any snobbing in the media and all this sort of stuff that may very well go on um, between games. And, and Ben Simmons totally fades away in close games. So, if the, But the, the problem is the Nets are terrible in close games as well. So you've got two... Team, well, mid-range, well. D'Angelo yeah. garbage. And, it's all just yeah. D'Angelo Russell. Oh, and Din, Dinwiddie, when Dinwiddie's on fire, it's poor man's but Lillian, this is the thing. Yeah. I mean, they've got Dinwiddie, Russell, and LeVert, who, if they're on fire and if they can get hot, then this is a term you can put on points quickly against you. So I could, I could certainly see Philly coming out in game one and just thinking, we're going to coast here, and the Nets going up like the and, and then it's like, holy shit, what the series. Yeah, but I, I'm with you. The, there's something freeing, right, where Brooklyn's playing with house money, right? So I, that's why this is what interests me about this series. I think it's very probable that you're going to see that, you know, game one will be, you know, halftime score will be 62-46 Philadelphia. And midway through the third, that game might be tied at 70, right? Like yeah. Brooklyn just, like, why would, why is Brooklyn ever going to get stressed, like, you know, Orlando just doesn't have the probably the talent base. I go, that's why you're you kind of, you and Bill Simmons are talking me into the fact that they're playing with house money. Atkins is a terrific, Atkins is a terrific coach. They got enough offensive firepower. They've proven that in the four games against Philadelphia. They actually control and dictate the pace and pace of play and style of play, which says something. It tells me a lot about Brett Brown and fucking Ben Simmons that the Brooklyn fucking Nets are telling you and dictating pace of play. And I go, that speaks to Philadelphia's immaturity, right? This is what we see from, from Simmons and Embiid. They, Simmons is, um, you know, doing his stuff where he's talking trash on Giannis and Embiid's, you know, down, you know, chopping his nuts, talking to the you know, Milwaukee crowd, like, you know, kind of like doing the suck it motion. Like they're infantile minds who just, 
they get in the flow of a game and let the game be dictated to them. Spectacular talents, but they're not, they don't lead yet. And that's what makes them probably vulnerable to me is this, if Jimmy Butler isn't the alpha dog for four quarters a game, every single game, I, I worry. Like if I'm a Philadelphia fan, I'm fucking jitting myself about the fragility of that team. They're just, they're front running kind of immature minded. Like I still, I'm never going to forgive Ben Simmons for going to play college at LSU. And now where he's at three, three years later, is he any better than when he left Australia does? I actually don't think he's much better than when he left. Well, he left here at AJ two. If anything from last year, to, mm. to be honest, looking at it now, yeah, um, yeah. That's so part of that's his role's changed a little bit, I think, too, which may not have helped his game. The the thing I point to as well with this team is remember last season they go in against the Celtics who were ready to be beaten, blew game one, and then the whole series they, they just fell to pieces. They're lucky not to get swept. Oh, Boston. I mean, that's as, as much as I hate the Celtics. Like there was, there was something fun about watching that team, right? Without a Kyrie, they were, they were a fun team to watch because they, they again, they, maybe the Boston Celtics of last year, kind of how Brooklyn's going to play this year, just this young, free, confident, um, uh, sharing, you know, kind of group of players, right? So that was the, you just sort of knew Boston was going to do something and. They just had a testament about them, a willpower that Boston, that Philly didn't have last year. So that's a good point, right? Uh, you wonder if this if this series goes two two, if both teams hold home court. Geez, Game Five might be the single greatest Game Five of this whole first se- of, of the first round, Dad. So okay, you're talking me into it. Yeah. You've talked me into yeah. it. Well, all right. Look, all I'm right. not tipping I'm heads. I, I, but I think no, no. Let, I, let's keep an eye. Out. This is this is out, high volatility outcomes. Yeah, yeah that's right. right. So, okay. What, what's your official prediction there? Philly in six Philly. or seven? Or I'm, no, I'm still going to go Philly in five. <laughs> okay. But, well, but I can. But your point, your question was: Do we see a path? I don't <laughs> see a path for Indiana. I don't see a path for Orlando. I don't. I don't even see a step for, for Detroit. I see a path, right? You've talked me. I see a path for Brooklyn for yes. this to go even. Okay. I could see a path for it to go seven games and anything happens. But I look, I think it's a short series. If Embiid misses game one, then I think it's a six game series. If Embiid plays game one, I think it's five. Mm-hmm. But, um, but again, that's a very, very, well, let me step back and ask if I say that. You're Tobias Harris and you're Jimmy Butler, right? Are you any more or less motivated? Does that change the way? I know you're kind of a guy who's always argued that that you know um, long-term alignment of interests and you know contracts have no impact on the psyche and play. But I, what what do you think about that? Like a team like Philadelphia who's got these two players who are uh, expiring UFAs. What does that affect? Does that not affect somehow, Daz? Especially if you get punched in the mouth, doesn't that have a? Can't that have an impact on the team? Oh, look! I think they'll be the, the, the problem with that team is they're going to turn and see who who's the leader, you know, and and who is going to lead this team. And I'm still not sure, you know. You, it's easy to say it is him, but, but we haven't seen him lead a team out of adversity in the past series yet. So that's what I would want to be seeing from them. Uh, but I, I think. I think all the contract stuff comes into their thinking after the season's done. Um, you know, you know my thinking. I, I think once they sort of step past the, the, the white line on game day, 
their ready for. But this is a team that's failed time and time again in close games and in big games now. And sometimes, you, you know, you just get that sort of deja vu. think if they lose a close game again at the start of this series, um, they might be getting flashbacks to last year's Boston class. You know who their leaders are? It's Jimmy Butler and TJ McConnell. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not actually kidding, Ray, because uh, as much as, you know, Embiid is their best player by a mile. But, again, it's just the nature of when you play the center position and you know, he doesn't control the ball, he doesn't control the tempo. He doesn't – he anchors the defense and is a, a spectacular offensive talent. But Ben Simmons controls the ball and Jimmy Butler is on the ball. So I, I genuinely think that – remember those T.J. McConnell minutes in last year's playoffs were some of the some of the most – exciting, impactful Philly coming back in a tough situation minutes. Yeah. Cause you got this guy who's kind of basically young Delhi. He can't <laughs> jump and he can't, he really is. He can't mention Delhi. We're in the playoffs. He's young Delhi. He's fresh, fresh faced, you know, fiery Something, young man. American Delhi. Yeah. And that's our next, uh, <laughs> next Bradley Cooper movie at American <laughs> Delhi. His super sexy stud walking down the streets of Iowa oh, or something. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, look, Dad, we'll leave that one there. So we, let's. Oh, we're gonna leave it there. We're gonna leave it the there with Delhi. Um, <laughs> let's move to the Western Conference. So we've got. Uh, we'll, we'll start with the one eight. I don't think we need to spend too much time on this. I mean, question we've got now is: Can the Clippers win a quarter from the Lakers? From the from the Warriors? <laughs> sure, it's a quarter two of, of of game one when Montrez and the Williams check into the game and go apeshit against Jordan Bell and Patrick McKinney or whatever that guy's name is, and uh, yeah, and the uh, and they tied the game at halftime at sixty, and then and I Golden think they're actually those... going to see that third quarter again because they played Golden State at the last game at Oracle, and it was and I was watching it intently because. The Spurs needed uh, the Clippers to lose to get into the seventh seed. And the Clippers, I think, were up by two at half time. And I thought, oh, don't tell me, go and say they're going to nail this one. It's the last game at Oracle. And they came out and won the third quarter by like 30 points. And I think you're going to see <laughs> that again in this playoffs where they're just going to go third quarters for whatever reason. You know, they call it the championship quarter for a reason, I guess. That's when they'll make their runs. Um, so, and I, I can't say this. Look, what's underreported as much as we love Doc Rivers, this this Clippers team feasted on shit teams. They were terrible against the best teams. They feasted. They just, they never lost against the Grizzlies. They killed the Cavs. They beat the Timberwolves, Knicks, Cavs, Pacers, Nets, Bulls, Thunder, Lakers, Knicks, Kings, Mavericks, Grizzlies. Lost two teams like Nuggets. Lost to the Jazz. Lost to the well, Nuggets. They lost again. to lost all the, the they, they, they lose to all the good teams. They destroy yeah. the bad teams. And I'm like, uh, no. Love their story. Love how they're building their franchise. Love the Tobias Harris trade. Highly respect what Doc Rivers has done. That's a sweep. Next. There's no... That's they win sweep. five. doesn't matter. Gentlemen's sweep in five. That might be fine, oh, but there's no have, way. They might rest a few that, players. Yeah, yeah honest to God. Yeah, no. So. No. Um, so... The two v seven Spurs. And there's a bit of there's a bit of love for the mm. Spurs. That's um, and I can certainly see a roadmap. The the worry I have with San Antonio is sixteen and twenty five away from home, uh, and you're playing one of the best teams yeah. in the NBA. Um, I think that the 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 game the Spurs need to win in game two because by then you're acclimatized to Denver. You're, you're used to playing them by then. I think the game one then is going to run Zantan off the court. I think they'll, they'll win that by 20-plus, to be honest. 
Um, game two is the game the Spurs need to win, I believe, if they're going to cause an upset in this series. And obviously you win game two and then you hold hard court and hope to win the six. That, to me, is the roadmap. If they go back to mm. Santa 2-0, I think this one could be done in five, to be honest. Um, because I think Denver can win in San Antonio, and I, th- oh, I think they'll do it. Yeah, they've just got more talent. Let's be honest. Look, yeah, and they, they, well, it's the it's they do, and they, they've got a Jokic, and who on who is the hell is going to defend Jokic, right? I think that's that for me is the massive, massive advantage for Denver is just there's just no right. If you had 34 year old Gasol, even you have you'd have a fighter's chance, but there's just no answer in your lineup for Jokic, right? You'll have LMA stapled to Paul Millsap. And that's the other thing. So I think you'll see if Millsap is, is rugged and, and playing peak, pill, peak Paul Millsap, which is, in my estimation, kind of, you know, second-team All-NBA defense when he's when he's locked in, right? I think that if LMA isn't doing his thing, right, at least hitting 55% of dots and being a beast inside and demanding doubles and stuff, I think you're just going to really struggle to keep up with him. So, um, well, the other yeah. thing is Denver's second unit is very good. So the, the, the Spurs are going advantage yeah. a lot of the year against second units. Uh, yeah. They're not going to get an advantage in this one. Morris and Beasley are spectacular. Yeah. yeah, and Wancho is good. So look, but I think there's a lot of there's a lot of optimism here, right? You know, that, that Denver is, is a bit vulnerable. They've had a lot of injuries. You know, Jamal Murray is still taking steps, but he's still very young. Gary Harris is still a, you know, a flawed but, but very good player. And a Millsap is you know, a little bit slower. You know, Jokic is, you know, Jokic is imperfect, but he's he's a terrific, terrific playmaker on that. And I think that for me is the big difference: is that Jokic is by far the best player in that series. And I think that's the difference. But that's a long series, though. I, th- I think you're going to get some games. You're going to get reason for purgatory excitement, Daz. I think that's a that's a, probably a six game series at least in my in oh, my I view. Be, I'll tip that seven. I think yeah, the yeah. win now and yeah. game. I think Denver win their games. Yeah. Games and who knows? Like Denver haven't been there before. Now San Antonio, we think they've been there before, but really you're talking about three or four players that have been there before. The guts of the roster hasn't been in a big, big game before, so I'm not. I, I, I think it's a little bit oversold the massive advantage that the Spurs have in that area. Um, they probably have it with Pop and the coaching staff more so than the, the playing group. Um, so I'm not. I'm not as much sold on sort of the experience factor being such a big advantage for the Spurs in this one, to be honest. Uh, but I think the Spurs will be much better at making those sort of in-game adjustments and then game-to-game adjustments um, that Denver may not necessarily make, not having been there in the past before. So that, that could be where the experience well, advantage Well, <laughs> again, I think there's that there's that general concept, and let me put a, in my view of a finer point around on what experience means. Like, what, what does that actually mean? And so when I think about that factor in a playoff is that experience may not matter, right, in a series when things kind of go to script and kind of the talent base just wins, right? But when shit happens, when weird things happen, when ejections or weird foul trouble or a weirdly refereed game or or whatever, like that's when experience matters or an overturned call or, right, so and that's what happens in the playoffs. Weird shit happens. And so I go, that's when you say when you've got just weird stuff happens as your headline, that's where San Antonio will thrive. Um, you know, so, so it's hard to sort of put a, 
you know, an event to that. But that's when experience matters most. Well, I think so the, the coaches get ejected or, yeah. Yeah, the foul yeah. trouble thing's real, Dad, because Jokic is a guy that can get in the foul trouble from time yeah. to time. He's a horrible defender. So will, will he defend LaMarcus or where will they hide? No, I think for me, he'll have he'll LaMarcus. Of he'll course, probably yeah, hide so. on, on Jokic or he's in the dunker spot and he'll just sort of stand yeah. around near, near the rim. Yeah. But yeah. If the, and the Spurs are not a team necessarily to attack the rim a lot. But I think you might see a bit more of Purdle in this series and then running sort of uh, running plays for Purdle um, more so than what you would normally do. But generally, he's still going to be going through the uh, Mother Rose and then the, the Marks Orchard, obviously. But I think you might see them be running some plays to attack the rim a bit more just to see if they can give him a bit of foul trouble because he is a guy that struggles to defend without fouling. Um, so that, that's something to watch out for, I think. Um, as that uh, as that series goes on, and I, and I wouldn't be at all surprised to see one or two games where Jokic you know doesn't only plays twenty odd minutes uh, because he's in foul trouble. So it's certainly something I think the Spurs are going to try. And that's exactly where that experience matters. When you get sh- weird stuff happens, you go deeper into your bench, or ejections, or fouls, or refereeing. So I go. I think it's a very real thing to say. You tip the experience advantage to San Antonio in that series, but I'd say that's a. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's a seven-game series. I think Denver, I mean, it's hard to argue against that that talent base, but it would not shock me. It wouldn't shock you if, if your Spurs pulled it out, would it? No, would that it wouldn't shock, shock me. Look, to, I'll be honest yeah. with you, Dave. It wouldn't shock me if the Spurs made the Western Conference Finals because the, you've got Portland and AKC okay, so we'll talk about next. Oh, I, I think the Spurs could so, certainly be of those teams as well. It's, um, the cr- it's the craziest draw. I guess maybe that's the <laughs> first thing we should talk about is just where I think you're with me, right, where the three best teams in the West are all in the same part of the draw, which is, you know, Golden State, Houston, and Utah, right? A very, yeah. in my view, the, sort of the, the class of the West at the moment, and there's a gap then between them and then the OKCs and Denvers, right? Are you well, with Denver, me on that regard? Well, Denver remains to be seen, I guess. Let, let's, I mean, if, if Denver go through these places, but if you didn't see the, the matchups, though, let me start it. If you didn't see the matchups, would you say at the end of the season, who had better odds to win to, to you know to challenge I guess Western Conference Finals oh, against Golden State Utah over Denver who who would you have tipped Oh we probably Utah. T- right Utah. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 that's guess what I'm saying that's I think that point uh, very eloquently made by Simmons and Russell today to say that to, to remind us of that just the, how crazy that final day became well, to give really teams like yeah San Antonio and well, OKC just had, a dream okay, so run yeah. well Paul George had the other three from the corner with two seconds left. To oh, AKC yeah. to yeah. win, and otherwise it would have been Houston in the two, um, and the Spurs in the six, and again, <laughs> that's right, so just that's right, crazy, crazy last yeah. last yeah. Couple, of, couple of games. So uh, let's move on to the next series to talk about, which is uh, the OKC Portland series. Now, I'm, I, we may disagree here, but I'm for Portland winning this series. Um, I just can't get excited about the OKC team. Uh, I just they, they play defense sporadically. Um, they take bad shots all the time. Paul George isn't playing quite as well. I mean, they, they were down 15 in that game against Houston. And James Harden checked back in and must have thought, well, this is my MVP moment. And then he just decided to take bad shot after bad <laughs> shot after bad shot. And all of a sudden, <laughs> next, and, and I mean, Russ pulled a couple of shots in from the backside. And it was just, it, it was an anomaly that they won that game in my view. They're not playing great basketball in my estimation at the moment. 
And no. Yeah, last two seasons they've gone out in the first round. They've been um, terrible. They're, oh. they're they're ten and twenty three <laughs> since the. Sorry, that's that's Memphis. They're twelve and thirteen, under five hundred since the All Star break. Yeah. I think they lost. They lost. Yeah, seven of eleven at one point as well. They've been floundering. Well, the only thing but is, I, they did sweep Portland in the regular season. So we Nurkic, how do you overcome against Steve Adams right. and Steve Grant Adams and, versus Cantor? Um, oh, that's now. A, Jesus, you know that's Cantor and Zach Collins. Yeah, that's a real. But it, but also Adams has still got that horrible, that shoulder injury, right? He's hurt. He's dinged it again. Well, he's not he's right. Just, Paul George is. He's not. not a, um, yeah, Russ is not right, but that's sort of mental thing. <laughs> yeah, look, this is a bit of a war of attrition. I think that the, I think Oklahoma City is actually favored. Vegas odds of favoring KC in this one, probably rightly so. Um, to be honest, especially with Nurk out and CJ also hasn't been a hundred percent. Look, so I, Portland, it's it's hard to forget what happened to them against New Orleans last year. Now Oklahoma City, you know the. Westbrook and Schroeder defensive duo is exactly, you know, Rondo and Drew Holiday locked in what happened last year to Portland. But it's it's hard for us to it's hard for me to ignore the fact that, you know, when when stuff gets really hard, um, they might be the most overrated second team All NBA player because he just he's easy to contain because he's so small, and that's why Russ, um, for all of his faults and his faults are many, where he just physically alters and makes you do things and puts you in situations and forces you inside and makes you defend and makes you chase and, and hits you and bumps you. And he's just his, he is an absolute beast of, of, of effort and, and, and physicalness. And I just, that's a, just a, an absolute nightmare situation for a Dame and a, and a CJ in my view. So I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm, I'm taking Oklahoma city in this series if Nurk was there, it might you might talk me into a seven-game series, but I just don't think that. I think that gap is too big. Um, Cantor is a turnstile on defense, which we've known for for a decade, and I, I'm going OKC in six. Um, that for me is the most interesting team in that in that part of the bracket. Um, so yeah, flawed and injured. But I just can't I, get on board with them and a losing record. And I, and I think Portland to be better staying and play after Nurk went down. And they have. Well, I watched a couple of those games. They um, And they won the, the... Well, they beat the Lakers in the last well, shot. And yeah, it, ridiculous win. You can't even... I don't even know what to make of that win over Sacramento where they played six guys on the last game of the season. I don't think that means out a lot. But, um, yeah, and I don't think... Ken's Who do you got? interesting to see if he hurts them as one? much. I'm tipping Portland on this one. Uh, I'm kidding. Well, I just I believe you know twelve and thirteen as you said since the All Star break. I just what, what's there to get excited about with this team? They're not they're shooting terribly. Um, if Paul George was was one hundred percent, I had confidence in that. But I think it, what's going to happen is Paul George is going to be struggling, and Russ is going to say, "Don't worry, I got this," and he's going to shoot forty five times again. He's going to shoot eleven thirty eight. Yeah, and yep. Yep. Portland yep. are going to go, "You beauty, you shoot." 45 times again, and you know, the, the key is can they name Dave? And, and is Dave going to get his? And he didn't get his, of course, uh, last season, and so he didn't really come along for the ride either. So that's obviously the worry. But I just think, I know Ken has obviously been a problem in the past. I'm just not sure if OKC is going to be the team that, that necessarily uh, takes advantage of that um, so much. So we'll wait and see. 
on that. And uh, I think the role players on Portland have gone okay this year. You know, Lame and Zach Collins has sort of taken a step forward in his overall game. So, uh, you know, even Seth Curry's been good off the bench. So I just think they've got the better role players. If their starting five can hold court against the OKCs, then they're going to win those bench minutes, which I didn't think we'd be saying at the start of the year, but I just feel like they're going to win the bench minutes. And Shrew is another guy that's going to come out, I think, and shoot too much, and that's going to, to come back and buy OKC. Mm, so mm. I just think it's going to be the same old story for them. And I'm, you know, everyone's sort of picturing OKC, they're probably, you know, uh, realised OKC, and I'm just not sure that we're going to see that. Um, well, we haven't we haven't in a while. They go. This is teams who've got they've got some gaps, but um, yeah, I think that's well, it's a fair argument. And I'm I'm interested in the series. I go. I think I'm most interested, obviously, in Houston, Utah, which we'll talk about. But I, so this this for me though is a very intriguing series. OKC Portland. I'm, I'm quite because you, you I'm also part of me wants you just want Portland to wipe that stain from last year away from Dame's mm. record. I think it's going to start to hurt his overall legacy in this case where he keeps making all-stars in all in all NBA teams and then can keep getting completely embarrassed in the first round. He's going to get a bit of the, you know, um, Kyle Lowry and DeMar Rosen stink about him. So I think this is actually a huge it's quite an important series for Dame. Like they he's got a bit of a redemption to do here. And don't think that doesn't think it doesn't count in the back of his mind or the front of his mind about, you know, does he stay? Does he go? Is he being surrounded in the right, you know, with the right players? So I think that's actually quite. This is a, the stakes increasing in Portland. Like I'm still not in the blow it up camp, but let's say the stakes are increasing. If they don't do well here in this first round, stacked against what happened to, uh, happened to them last year against San Antonio or sorry against um, New Orleans, you could be looking at a situation where it feels like the, you know, like Lob City where. You know, the Clippers just had failure after failure, you know, and just sort of eventually just had to break it up. So I think this is the stakes are kind of high for Portland in this one. Yeah, so I, I think it, this is the second most interesting series across yeah. all of those drafts. Yeah. Obviously, we, we wanted to at least try and make it. It's Houston, Utah, your, your favorite series? Houston, yeah, well, it's yeah. probably not the series I'll be watching because a certain IC is going to be playing a big part. Yeah. And I, I don't really enjoy watching play basketball. As, as we've spoken about a number of times, but certainly in terms of the interest level, and in terms of the fact that you've probably got, as you said, the second and third best teams in the West meeting in the first round in the four five matchup, yeah, um, which is which is going to be fascinating. So I've got, and I've got an upset in this one as well. That's I'm going the Utah Jazz here. I think they're going to win this series in six games. Really? Um, here's my problem with Houston. This is now James Harden's team. Right, last year, mm, the playoffs, it was Chris Paul's. It was Chris Paul's team. This is not Chris Paul's team anymore. This is James Harden's team. How many playoff series have James Harden's teams won in the playoffs? God, like you mean, OKC has won the him without Chris Paul in the OKC series? Yeah, so give him the OKC series. Here's here's his record in the playoffs, right? Oh, I don't want to hear it. He yeah, goes. So he goes, when they beat the Clippers, he was on the bench. He got benched, but they were gone. That's that right. Game. You remember? That's right. Game six. Yeah. The crazy so, game. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm giving that one to Josh Smith. I'm not giving that one to James Harden because he sat on the bench uh, did. for the entire comeback. And then they 2015. Yep. Now, remember they lost in the finals. What they might not remember is James Harden had the ball at the end of game 
one on thinking of that series with a chance to win it and dribbled it off his foot out of bounds. Right? <laughs> then, of course, the famous collapse against San Antonio, where it was his team. That was a second round series. They didn't oh, the, the Russell Westbrook in the first round. The game where he, didn't, he decided he didn't want to shoot that one, where he just That's right. hit or pattered. That's right. Where he just. Well, I, I like to give him the benefit of the doubt to say he hit the wall in terms of physical um, exhaustion yeah. of carrying that team. But, you know, it was a, it was a terrible Something was happened, yeah. Santana would know Kawhi Leonard as well. No, yeah. Then last season, of course, it's Chris Paul's team now. So they win the first two rounds, and then Harden wasn't terrible. He certainly wasn't putting up the same. He was good. Put up in, in the regular season. Yeah. Then it became James Harden's team, of course, game six and seven once Paul went down. And, big leads you know, that couldn't hold. Yep. He, he played. Oh, 27. Yep. Look, and, and we were, we were, we didn't write him off over that or anything no, like that. No, he played well, actually, those two games. He couldn't get yeah. the team over the hump. But he, he's not good enough to do it. He's, not, right. so, he's not LeBron. He's not Kawhi. He's not Giannis. He's not. You know, that staff for KD, he's in a different level. Yep. Yep. So, and he's shown in the playoffs. And, yeah, all right, everyone loves the step back three. Hit it in the playoffs. Just hit it in the playoffs. I haven't seen it. Have you seen him hit it regularly in the playoffs? First quarter, yeah. For a fact. First and third quarter, I've seen it, yeah. Well, we know also for a fact that the the refs are going to call the shit that he does differently. Yeah. In the yeah, playoffs, than they do. Well, there's no question because it's the same crew, right? So the first game he might get a few calls. Then they're going to look at the tape and they're going to go, "He's he's conning us here." And teams get used to guarding him, right? And whether they do the the, the Bucks, they go, "Eric Bledsoe, they're just going to stand beside him." They do the Spurs thing, and they just sort of go straight up and down every single time. They will get used to guarding him, and he's not going to get, he's not going to get the free throw line much. Um, and Chris Paul was massive in that series last year when they actually beat Utah um, in five games. But it, was, it was actually a reasonably close. Some of the games were quite close in that series. Um, but it was certainly Chris Paul that got them over the line, particularly in game five, when they wrapped it up. And I just don't think Chris Paul's at the same level. Well, there's no question he's not at the same level, but he needs to certainly go up a level from where he was at in the regular season, in my opinion. Um, and I'm not sure he's going to be able to. So that means that you're relying on Harden a lot more. And if it's Harden, I say all this. If that's what they're going to bring to the playoffs, they're going to be going the first round. Yeah, at the same time, Utah is playing really well, right? Donovan Mitchell has has found his kind of found his groove. He's very, Utah's a very healthy team. You know, Rubio is fit. Ingles hasn't missed a game. Crowder. I gotta say Crowder's probably their weak link. He's been playing a lot of crunch time minutes, but you know Favors is solid. They've got Kyle Korver. You know they've got they had a professional NBA basketball team over there. Favors has right? been brilliant this year, actually, particularly defensively. Yeah, he has. He's been very, very good. Right, very, very good at 23 minutes a game. They found a perfect Quinn. Quinn's pulling all the right, just sort of striking all the right notes, pulling all the right strings. They're just playing so well. But again, they've had just scintillating of all the teams in the league. Probably Milwaukee and Utah, probably just riding the greatest luck and um, you know of, of of health. So if that continues as well, whereas you know the the injury histories with with Chris Paul are obviously so well known that if Chris Paul falters, right, that's the other very real factor here. Is it goes into a six seven game series, you've got to wonder can his can his body hold up and. You got yourself 28 minutes a game of fucking Gerald Green or 
Daniel Hulse or something. That is just a, that's a formula for disaster for that team. So yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna wishful think Utah. I think I'm gonna wishful think Utah in seven. They're gonna win one on the road. That's my that's well, my I think ridiculous. Play their home in six. I think they'll win one of the early ones and then hold home court. Um, that's my sort of prediction. And I think Donovan Mitchell might reasonably well against them last year. He's having a big game game five before he hurt himself. And the good thing for them is too, I think Gobert can stay on the court to a certain extent because of their because they've got Yeah, that'll um, be really interesting. Yeah. Out there. So when Capella's out there, Gobert can be out there. So that's going to be interesting to see as well just how effective Gobert is, I guess, because he, he wasn't majorly effective last year, but I think he's going to be more effective on the offensive end as well. The much more aggressive dive guy this year, yeah. Obviously, yeah. Lead, he actually led. He, he beat Giannis. He led the league in dunks this year. Yeah, that's right. So he's so, been much more aggressive. Yeah, yeah. I will say this though, and I'll, and I'll think you agree with me on this: the team with the best chance of beating Golden State in the West is Houston, because for whatever reason, and I think we can get a reason, particularly around their defense, Golden State don't like playing Houston. It's just not a style they like to play. And I think they sort of, it seems to me when Golden State play Houston, they get in a little bit of that ISO ball style themselves. And they sort of, Houston can, can sort of dictate the style of what the other team does. Um, and so I think Golden State would be far happier playing Utah in the second round than Houston. You reckon? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Oh, I think, look, if yeah, you said to me someone that, beats, yeah. if you said to me yeah. Golden State don't get out of the West, I would be, you know, very confident it would be Houston that's going to beat them because I don't yeah, think Houston okay. can beat them. Do you and think you look at the regular season this year? I mean, Houston still had the, I think they were three one, three and one against the Warriors. Do you the, think this Houston team is as good as last year's Houston team? Uh, no, but I think I don't think Alan Stater is good either. Um, and I think Houston's defense is probably just as good as what it was last year. Um, their offense isn't as good. That's because Chris Paul hasn't been quite as good. But since they got the assistant coach back, and his name escapes me, but he, he went away at the start. Benzelic. Yeah, that's right. Benzelic, he, he came back. Since he's come back, they've been very good. And they're winning games while defense again does. Um, and that's the yeah. worry I have for Utah in this series. Can Utah score enough points? Um, I, don't, I don't think Houston are going to necessarily yeah. put up massive yeah. scores on Utah. But can Utah get, even get to 100 in some of these games? Because they're going to be relying on Mitchell quite a bit. Um, but they've got a few more strings. I think Utah are better than they were last year as well. I um, do too. I think they've got a few more strings to their bow this year, particularly with Corver. Um, so I th- that, and, 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 I, and as I said, I don't think Houston are quite as good as what they were last year. So look, I'm more confident. Golden State will beat Houston this year than I was last year. I think we, we both picked Houston yeah, to yeah. last year. But I think if there's a team that's going to beat Golden State, I, I would expect it to be Houston. Um, but I think Houston's got a better I don't think Utah could keep up. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Although Utah no. played them well in the regular season as well, but we know yeah, Golden yeah. State regular season. And the, the thing I like about Houston is when Golden State play Houston in the regular season, they were taking it seriously. Like that wasn't a throwaway... Who cares? Loss, like they were mm-hmm. in those games, and the games followed almost the exact same trajectory as last year's playoffs. And Houston won those games this year again. So uh, that's the worry I would have if, if I'm 
if I'm Golden State. The only team that worries me for Golden State in the West is Houston. Um, and obviously San Antonio will be in the back of their mind, as I'm sure. As you would. You, the, the, that's, they're stalking. <laughs> right, the voyeurs. That's right. They're looking. They're watching. <laughs> that's right. So so we might leave it there. There's, look, that's, so the playoffs start on uh, Sunday. Uh, with uh, the games, just go. Well, I know San Antonio play the last game on Sunday, so and then the Bucks play Monday morning. Uh, so it's going to be a job. And I'm looking forward to it. what. What series outside of the Bucks? What What do you think you're going to watch the most of? What, what series are you most looking forward to watching, rather than sort of seeing what the result is? Um. Great question. Look, I'm I'm probably it's that Oklahoma City Portland series. I can, I think there's a lot at stake um, that intrigues me. And then if Brooklyn can be competent and competitive, that will that will dial me in because it's more of a I suppose it's a train wreck of its own right at that case. And so I probably shouldn't relish that, but I probably will if Brooklyn gets firing and finds some mojo and is you know maybe shooting some irrational percentage from downtown and winning an early game in that series that's going to get my attention very quickly so those are kind of my the three sixes are kind of kind of getting my attention to us yeah yeah i agree yeah. probably the two i'll be checking out there so yeah see the spurs games and i think some of those you know some of the one eights and then the Toronto all there and those are going to be pretty forgettable um series to be honest uh which, which year every year i think it is this time um of so you're here. We are, pre, you know, as the at the dawn of the the eve of the playoffs. You know, what, do you have a prediction? Who do you, based on what you know now, the information you have at this point? Obviously, things will change a lot as the series goes on. But you put money now on who's your who's your uh, NBA Finals participants oh, and how I'll how's go it going? State Milwaukee. Um, yeah, but I think yeah. you. I think the team that is the biggest threat to Golden State overall is Toronto. I think if Toronto get out of the East, I think that's going to be a cracking final series. And I think yep. Toronto have got the team yep. potentially everything for them right to actually really take it to Golden State. I'd still be confident Golden State will win that series, but I could certainly see that going six, seven games if Toronto get out of the East. I don't think they will. Um, and I think it's probably a season too early for Milwaukee to really take it to Golden State um, at this stage. I think you know, Toronto have got the experience, and if, if, if they get out of the East, we know a couple of things. We know Kyle Lowry's been playing well. We know Kawhi's fully engaged. We know Danny Green's turned up, which he can be a magnificent playoff player, as we saw for many years in the Spurs, and he had some horrible playoffs as well. Marcus Gasol is a guy that's given the Warriors problems in the past. If you go back and look at what the Grizzlies have done at different times, so... And, and as I say, if they get out of the East, we know all those things are happening. But at the moment, I, I sort of question, I want to see it. You know, I want to see Kawhi fully engaged and, and really playing at the elite level that he was playing at sort of before we were in which I don't think we've quite seen this year um, at both ends of the floor. And I want to see Kyle Lowry do it in the playoffs as well, which has also been a question mark um, over the years. Although, to be fair, the yes. Lowry... He played okay last year. It was really DeRozan that went them down much more than did. Kyle Lowry did last year. So that's the team I'm, I'm most fascinated to see as. And I, re- I, I just I, I really want to see Milwaukee Toronto in these the conference finals. Like that's a, that's a dream matchup for me. Um, 
Well, that's why that's why I go. That um, the first round really interests me in the West, but the second round, as we got Toronto versus Philadelphia in the second round, that is that's that for me is the, probably the most interesting series of even Golden State and Milwaukee if they make it in the finals. I like I don't know. I'm just fascinated by the teams with so much at stake between Kawhi and the free agents and. All right, that, that for me is the, the the one single series I'm most looking forward to is Toronto Philadelphia, a bit of drama, contrasting styles, um, high upside play, um, yeah, variability outcomes. That's that's my that's my series I'm looking forward to. What's the one series that you want to see happen? That's that's in these brackets. What's the one most interesting series to you? If it comes out, is it what, what's your most? Well, what excites you? <laughs> yeah, well, if they, if they, you know, if they've rumbled through, yeah, okay. I'll be right. delirious. I'll be delirious. No, nah, I love I think but is it Houston Golden State? Is it Houston nah, Golden State round Houston, two? Nah. No, yeah. That's no. James Harden playing in that series. That's never be that interesting. But uh, that would be Milwaukee, Toronto, to be honest. That'd, that'd, that'd be, actually, no, that'd probably, be, okay, yeah. It probably yeah. would be Toronto Golden State, actually, in, in the final. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That would probably be yeah. the one because I think. Gee, that would be a good series. If, if Toronto was yeah. like fully realised Toronto, and don't forget, Kawhi's got to score the settle against these pricks. And don't think for a moment that we've forgotten what happened a couple of years ago um, with him when he was no. playing against Gallup State. So, you know, and, and put aside all the all the BS that went on last year on Spurs fans, we'd get behind that um, if that was to happen. So... That's probably the one series I'd say, all due respect to Milwaukee, and I'd love to see Giannis in the finals. But if we could get, particularly how disappointing the finals have been in the last few years, um, I'd love to see a finals where it is just two teams just trading haymakers with one another. Again, like what we saw in you know, those Miami, San Antonio, and the Dallas Miami series, you know, going back a few years. Um, it's been pretty disappointing in my opinion. But thank God that the Golden State Cleveland era is dead at least, so we might get a decent NBA Finals series. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Look, I think either I think either Milwaukee or Toronto. If, if once obviously to state the obvious, if they've they've come out of their Eastern Conference Finals, they're going to be playing very well. So I think I think they're going to it's going to be a credible. I think we're going to see an NBA Finals that it's at least six games. I think the East at the top is as strong as it's been, even with LeBron. Obviously, LeBron and Kyrie's miracle in, was it 16? Yeah, that was the miracle the miracle year, um, oh, 15, 15, 15 yeah, 16. Well, 16. But even that, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. series, the basketball in the series itself, like, most that was of them brutal, were brutal. So. Shot missing after shot missing after shot missing. But, but again, they're to their defense. It was a great defense, and it was, uh, and it was just super tense, but... Uh, yeah, good, great drama, not mm. terrific, I guess, execution. It wasn't yep. exactly Spurs versus Heat in 2015 sort of stuff. But, yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Des, let's leave it there, mate. So we'll, good um, stuff, buddy. Enjoy the, enjoy the playoffs. Enjoy the, the, the Bucks, Pistons. I'm sure you'll, um, you'll have a lot of tension there when, uh, when that series kicks off. But it, it must be nice to just go into the playoffs and think, well, we've got this covered. This is on lockdown. Let's, let's already start thinking about the second round. Uh, yeah, I guess when you're as old as I am, Daz, and you've never had that sensation, you just don't, you don't believe it till it actually happens. And if the Bucks lost in six to the Pistons, it would sort of be very Wisconsin. It just would fit the narrative of 
wind and cow people, and it would just sort of go, eh, of course, never trust the Bucks. But uh, no, I think they'll they'll steamroll the Detroit. And uh, but yeah, I mean, it's impossible not to get nervous about a Boston series, you know, just because of the you know the irrationality. But we'll check in. We'll definitely have another one at the end of round one. So well, last point, yeah. fans remind me of George Costanza when he had that he had um, some good news come in, and he saw a little spot on his on his uh, lip, and they said, "Oh, that might be cancer." <laughs> Great. Nothing good can happen in my life. (laughs) That's right. Well, we had the white spot on our lip. That was called Jason Kidd. (laughs) So I actually think we've cured our, you know, our prunty, our pruntyism. But uh, it's that's beautiful. Uh, All right. Good night. All right. Serenity now, Daz. Serenity now. See you, buddy. All right. Bye. Bye.